Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of today's Survival Show, helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. This is episode number 258, and this is a practical prepping and survival show. Most of you know I don't go tinfoil hat on this show. You know, I try to keep things practical and rooted in common sense. I find that the people that kind of go off tinfoil hat-ish just kind of turn people off to a common sense practice, which is prepping and survival, and it's becoming mainstream, becoming more and more mainstream with everything happening and and going on in the world today. Well, on this 258th episode, first of all, I just want to let you know that I'm back. Uh, I have been... Uh, sent back home. I'm back at my home in San Antonio. I am cancer-free once again, praise the Lord. Uh, many thanks to the uh, great doctors at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. Many thanks to the God above, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate healer. I am cancer-free again after my stem cell transplant. And I am on a slow road to recovery. I'm still pretty tired and and still trying to recover and bounce back. And it may take several months for me to get into full steam, but I am back podcasting again. So on this 258th episode, uh, there's another really good good interview for you to listen to. This is about prepping and homesteading in small spaces or in reasonable spaces. And Mexican Joe did a great job helping me out again. Boy, I tell you what, he's been helping keep this show going for the last few months while I've been undergoing my treatments. And I'm hopefully I'm taking charge of this and bringing it back. And we can both, Joe and I, can work on it much more actively together. But, you know, mainly me, you're going to be hearing a lot from me here in the next several weeks on, on prepping and survivalism and things like that. But Joe talked to Thumper Lane. Uh, Thumper Lane's been on this show before. Uh, I, I urge you to go back and listen to some of the older episodes, by the way. If you're relatively new to this show, thank you. Thank you for joining and thank you for listening. Go back and listen to some of the older shows. Thumper Lane and her husband, The Dude, have been interviewed many times on today's survival show. But I thought this was a really appropriate subject when Joe sent me this and said, Hey, I did this interview. I thought, yeah, prepping and survival in, in small spaces. A lot of people think you have to have this you know, huge ranch or something. You ever listen to a show like that where they make it sound like you have to have this, you know, you have to own half of a forest to be <laughs> to to be self-sufficient, and you don't. You don't. Uh, you don't have to have this humongous place. As a matter of fact, a lot of people do it, and a lot of people provide for themselves on just small suburban lots. There's a lot of people out there that just have a little bit of land. Some only have an acre or two, like you're going to hear on this show. Some have more, but you can do a lot with a little. And since the theme of my show is doing what you can with what you have, wherever you are, and with whatever you have, I thought this was pretty appropriate. So I'll say thanks in, uh, in advance. I'm going to be on uh, after the interview is over with, uh, to share some, share some comments. So here's Mexican Joe talking to Thumper Lane on prepping and survival in small spaces. Okay, Mexican Joe, uh, back with Northeast Texas Preppers. I am here with Thumper Lane. Uh, we are going to discuss uh, prepping and homesteading in small spaces. How you doing, Thumper? Doing great. How about you? Good, good. Just busy as usual. We all have real jobs as, as well as all of our prepping and stuff. So it's we've been getting swamped. Well, uh, you do. This is my job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, but hey, you know, you got the dude there, and he he made it. He he let you do that, and you love it. 
I do love it. I, I absolutely love it. And, and I was, I was, I've been watching your Facebook, and he doesn't get on to you, and he lets you do it even when you overdo yourself. He doesn't get on to you about it. No, not at all. In fact, he rather likes it because, as he says, he has no honey-do list. That's right. That's right. I'm, I'm getting. I'm starting to enjoy that myself. You know, I come home and I'm like, hey, you need to calm down a little bit, and I've learned just to leave it alone. She'll she'll wind down when she wants to wind down. Buy her whatever tools she wants. That's and it, it'll all benefit you. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Just the weekend runs to uh, Bob Wells Nursery here in Lindale. Yeah, those are a couple hundred dollars. But hey, we get my orchard has doubled in the last you know couple months. It's been awesome. Awesome. <laughs> but that that is what we're here to talk about: prepping and homesteading in small spaces. Um, I put that up on our Facebook group. Uh, here a couple weeks ago that we probably wanted to do you know an interview on this and discuss this and then you and me discuss because you're you're on a uh, a small homestead and I think that a lot of people mistake that you need a big place and a hundred acres and a bunker and all this other stuff and really that's way more than most people need and I think that if you can do it efficiently it's better and you can handle it more what do you think? Um, I agree with you. We have two acres, and we are right now currently only using about a third of our acre, and with that third, we grow um, 100%, I'm going to say 90% of all of our fruits and veg, and we, um, all of our eggs come from here, and we do supply other people with eggs, and um, we, we started... Well, we got an incubator, and now we're going to be, I like to say, making chickens, because it makes my father-in-law laugh. Um, <laughs> we're uh, going to be raising chickens so we can eat them, and so, so you can do it on two acres. Yeah, see, now we, we're on 10 acres, or just a little over 10 acres, but realistically, we're using probably an acre or less. Because our garden, I started a garden out back. It was way too big. It was way too far away. Um, it was probably 30 by 50. And it didn't make it midway into the summer. And it was just demolished. It was gone. Yeah, your garden was way too far away for you, though. My yeah. garden is literally right outside the front door. Right. And it wraps around the cottage that we're in right now. Right. See, and my first one was, I mean... I say it's too, it was too far away. It was 75 yards away. You know, now, then the, the following year, we went right outside in the backyard, which is kind of a normal-sized backyard, and different people had their different plots. My stepmom had hers. I had mine. And then I used the inner front yard, which is actually very small. It would be like a small little suburb front yard, and I used it for my herbs because I'm under canopy. And then I used my outer front yard for my fruit trees and this and that. But one of the things that really struck me is why I think this is so important. You know, we're kind of starting off with the, talking about the gardening and the chickens and all this. Is that my garden, like I said, that was huge, was really shamed on by Dave, by Super Dave, because he did his, and his was like 20 by 30, 20 by 35, very small, very intense, and he just couldn't even keep up with it. And he produced a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, you look at the way that they used to garden in the Victorian days, in the um, 
well, World War One, World War Two days. And if you go back to, um, like, British television has a ton of actual TV shows. And last year I spent the majority of my winter time watching those shows. And they always had a kitchen garden. They called it the kitchen garden that was right outside their back door, where it's closest to the kitchen. And that was where they grew their herbs and the things that they would snip and take in. And then a couple yards away or a little bit further away, but not far, they would have their big garden. And that's where they would do all of their gardening. But the majority, their garden was not huge. Um, and they lived on that. Yeah, see, I call that, uh, I've been listening to another podcast that I've always listened to, one that you and me both listen to, and I call that Zone 1, Zone 2. Zone 1 is just outside the door, Zone 2 is out in the yard, and then your Zone 3 and 4 is where you get into your food forest and your long-term stuff farther out. But yeah, I mean, when when we did, uh, we were doing the sun oven practice test for me, Amazon has had sun ovens before, she did that, and she's like, hey, I need some rosemary. And I just kind of, we were down by my shop, and I pointed at the shop, and she's like, what? And I'm like, there's a huge rosemary plant right there next to the front door of the shop. Yeah. I just went over with a pocket knife, snipped it off, and we were there because we did exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, we have rosemary planted in several different spots. Rosemary is great to plant near your chicken coop. Really? Why is that? Because rosemary and lavender are some herbs that are pest deterrents for the chicken coop. Ah, see, we've got a chicken coop, and we... We've done very well with our chickens. Um, the, our biggest problem with chickens has been predators because we let our chickens free range. That's this year. But, uh, yeah, I, I think on our less than, an, you know, we're probably, I'm guessing we're probably only actually, like I said, using a half acre, three quarter of an acre, something like that. But in that, we've got rabbit cages, chicken coop. Um, we now have uh, pygmy goats. A pen went in for that, so we got two babies and then a uh, uh, one that's getting ready to drop. You can do a lot on a little bit of space. You can. You, you can. But you can do a lot on a little bit of space, but you have to have the proper setup and able to do it. And it's going to depend. Your setup will totally depend on what area of the country you live in. And everybody can talk about gardening, but, they ha but since we are talking about it, I'm going to tell everybody that... The way I garden is totally different than the way you garden. Because we, I, I sent you seeds the other day because I'm reading the package and I'm like, I can't grow these. These are for, you know, long, warm summer days. I don't have long, warm summer days here. So everybody can garden. They just have to alter it to the way that they, to, to, to their um, environment. Right. Now here's something that, you know, it's the flip side of that is you don't have the warm days. We... When we went down to our nursery here uh, in Lindale and we're picking out a bunch of fruit trees, Amazon was grabbing this and she was grabbing that and she was grabbing this and she had her whole cart filled up and and then Rob over there at Bob Wells Nursery comes out and we deal with only pretty much with Rob or with Bob directly and Rob just came out and he looked at what we got and he said, put that back, put that back, put that back, put that back and she was like, what, what's the matter? We don't have the chill hours for a bunch of the fruits. Yes. So he knew he was selling for everybody in, in, in the area that would come to him, but he knew where you lived and what you could and couldn't grow. Right. Well, actually, they, they sell and ship all over the United States, so they have exactly. stuff that we can't have. Now, they also have some weird things that we can have, but we shouldn't. Like this last uh, fall, I planted avocados. Mm -hmm. 
Uh-huh. And all I've got to do is baby them through the first two winters until they get a crust on the bark, and then we'll be good. So don't for people out there, don't think that because you live in the north, you can't garden like people in the south, because there's things that people in the south can't grow that you can grow in the north. Yes. I'm dying for one of those avocado trees. I will shortly have one. I even have the space reserved for it. Well, and there are, there are lemon trees that we can grow up here, too. Right, because you have the chill hours and something else is some of these some of these trees like she had picked out a kumquat that she really wanted and Rob said, Well, make part of your this year's project to build a small greenhouse. He says if you have a you know, if you have a kumquat or some of these other small citruses, you can have them in pots so you can pull them out in the summertime, put them in the greenhouse with a small heater in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And we'll we be okay. A, yeah, we have a greenhouse for our um peppers and next year it will also be for eggplants because eggplants are actually perennial too really so yeah so your your bell peppers and hot peppers and everything and jalapenos those are perennials and we have some people up here that have been very successful in keeping them in their in a warm greenhouse all through the winter and then they they bring them out once it gets warm. We do get warm, but only for about a month. And we still our problem is is that we well this whole last summer I think we only stayed sixty one was the highest, and that was maybe for less than a week at night. Right. Now, so our, for tomatoes, you have blossom drop when you're at fifty eight. So if you're not getting above fifty eight for most of the year, you you're having a serious issue with trying to get tomatoes yeah yeah see see what some something else i mean not everybody knows that that you're up in oregon Uh and and we're in we're in northeast texas yeah and it's it's important when you're talking to somebody about gardening to tell them where you're from right because just because i'm in the pacific northwest i'm the true actual pacific northwest where our growing and weather patterns are totally unlike any place else in the United States. So we're different. I mean, I came from Fresno, which was one zone off from where I am now, but I can't grow half the stuff I could grow down there. But had I known how to grow like I grow up here, I could have grown all year down there. Right. Well, something else is down there, you're like that. Fresno is more like me where we're drier. So exactly. up there, you can't get away from water. You don't have a water problem. No, and when you talk about permaculture, I have to go. I have to um, do permaculture totally different than the average person. When you look at all the videos, most of them are in um, Australia or Texas or um, New Zealand areas where right. they're doing all of the food forests. My food forest that I have looks totally different. And you guys do the chop and drop method with your weeds and everything. I can't do that because I literally will chop a weed and drop it in a pathway and within four days it will reroot itself. It's so wet and it'll just start growing again. And also in your videos and stuff and in all your all of your stuff on your on your Facebook page, everything you do is staircased because of the water you take in. It, it, it's a lot like a rice paddy. You've got to slow your water down so it gets to your plants. Otherwise, you have erosion problems. Yes, I also live on a hill. But most people in my area do live on a hill. If they don't, then they flood considerably. So right. I'm blessed that I live on the hill, and we do. We have three stair, three steps to our land. The upper part, which um, has a few buildings. The middle layer has the cottage that we live in. 
Um, and then the bottom layer is where the chicken coop and the food forest and all that kind of stuff is, is and the garden is, is moving because I have to move the garden this year. But I, I have to get the water away from my plants because we have gotten 40 inches since October 1st so far. Yeah, and right now we're, 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 we're the 10th of February as we're recording this. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, one year we got 77 inches in a year. 77 inches is a heck of a lot of water. Yeah. And I, I like that in, in several ways. I don't have to worry about water. That's the least of my concern. The first thing I did when I moved in here uh, onto this property was to set up water storage because I, I realized I didn't flush the toilets when you don't have electricity. Right. And because I have the water storage, I have a way of watering the garden. So the garden is compacted into a, a the upper space. It's moving down into the lower space. So now I can gravity feed all my water to it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yes. So it'll be working with me instead of against me. Yeah. See, and that's something that I think people, you know, in property in general, what they need to try to do is consider that. And we're talking permaculture and, and other things. And Again, we're, I'm here in northeast Texas, and I started my fruit trees up here in my yard, more of my zone two, right out in front of the house, out, outside my inner front yard, so that I could see them, because then I would give them more care, and I could take care of them while I established the property. And then I went around, and I started planting clover and things that were going to put nitrogen back into my soil. Now, three years later, Amazon's here, and we're putting stuff farther down into the property, but... All of this, all of my nutrients from the from the upper part of the property are flowing down, and we're actually one of the things we did different this year was normally people build a a mound and they plant on the mound because we don't get the water like let's say you get we plant on the uphill side in the valley before the mound, so the mound becomes kind of a little dam to hold the water. Because most of our planting, again, is, 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 is summer and springtime. Now, this year, my stepmom, she's going to try asparagus, and Amazon has already kind of worked her through how to do that. And it's a, it's a couple-year project, because, of course, asparagus has to... I don't eat it, so I'm not all that thrilled about it. Oh, but, asparagus is three years. You probably brought crowns that were one year old. Yeah. And you've got two more years, and I would be, I would be um, selective in cutting the ones the second year. It's good. Asparagus is totally different when you're growing it yourself. You're going to love it. Yeah, well, I've heard a lot of the, you know, the stuff is much richer and much better. I'm I'm excited because our fruit trees have now been in. Some of them have been in now. It's going to be three years. So we're actually getting ready to start getting some production out of our trees. And then I've got people coming out to show us how to properly prune them properly. We went out a year or two ago and pruned our existing three trees. We had a peach, a plum, and an apricot. And we trimmed those down, and that summer they blew up. So now I've got to take my trees from, I think I trimmed them down to 10 foot. This year we're going to take them down to about 6 or 7 foot, knowing they're going to blow up again. Yeah. We have, um, we actually about three weeks ago finished the last apple we had harvested in, in September, October. From just one apple tree that we had, it was the first apple tree that we bought, and we have a couple peach trees, and we got about six peaches off the first one, but of course we only let them, because they were in there for their, that, that was their second year, we only let a couple on the peach tree, 
Um, it, we have a lot of fruit, um, a lot of fruit trees, and we have some nut trees, and we'll be adding more to the nut trees. But literally, if you're only on a few acres, if you plant it well, you can get a lot of fruit and vegetable in here. I mean, I give stuff away in the summer when it's when, in abundance. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're calling your neighbors. We got three pounds of strawberries a day um, it, for about the, for about two months, two and a half months, and then we were getting about a pound every day after that. And um, I couldn't even give hardly any of them away. I still have them in the freezer. Yeah, see, now, Super Dave, he did purple hull peas, and they were bringing those in almost every day in a five-gallon bucket and then sitting in front of the TV and shelling them. So, now, now here's, here's, a, here's a neat one for people, again, because I'm trying to stay on subject, because you and me tend to go all over the place with all kinds of stuff. Well, when you talk about gardening, it's really hard for me to stay on subject, but I really do want to talk about small home living, yeah. because it is, um, it is a challenge. Yeah, well, you start thumping, and boom, you're gone. You're like me. You're off, you're off chasing squirrels somewhere. Yeah. Um, one of the ones that, uh, that I'm really excited about as far as small spaces, um, even if you live in... in, 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 in in the suburbs is um, it's something we've been talking about here is there are grafted trees we get them here from again it's Bob Wells Nursery here in Lindale I but, had it when I was growing up right we ended up getting the fruit salad tree Amazon wanted it and I'm like well we don't need it we've got the room but she wanted it so it's close to where you know where we've got the RV park so we sit down there it's kind of our little escape and it's got two peaches a plum a nectarine, and an apricot, I believe, all on one tree. Uh-huh. And they've been grafted on and then grown. Now, if you were to go out and buy these five different trees, they would cost you $20, $30, wherever it is, depending on where you get them. Um, but this tree is $70, but you've got five fruits on one tree. Yes. Now, there's also a variety of, I think, three or four apples, two or three pears, a couple of cherries. There's all this different grafting going on, and I think it's a really neat idea for people who may just live live in the suburbs and just want to do something. They can do a garden to where you know it doesn't bother their HOA or whatever other weird constraints they've got, and they can have one or two trees and still be able to yield some some food off of their property. Well, let's talk about that for a minute because you bring up the memory when I was a kid. We grew, I grew up in San Luis Obispo, California, and we well for three four years we lived in um, well on just off from Cal Poly, just down the street from Cal Poly, in um, a residential area where we had a small backyard. We had a little bit of lawn, but in the back part of the property, the guy that lived there before us had planted all of these different grafted trees. I believe we had a grapefruit and an orange on one tree, and we had a lemon with something else, I mean, huge lemon tree. He had, in this very small plot of land, he had all the citrus that you could ever want, and he had a fig tree, apple, pear. I mean, we had all of these trees. And then in the middle part of it, we grew all of our vegetables. Literally, I mean, because we were poor growing up, extremely poor. And my parents, literally, the lettuce came from the backyard. The carrots, the cucumbers, everything, we grew so that we could eat. And um, we dried our own. My dad had built a food dehydrator. Um, he was, he's an engineer, so he built a food dehydrator. Um, and 
we dehydrated all of our fruit that came off of those trees to save. Uh, we uh, we had enough vegetables that we could share with the family. I mean, tomatoes, everything, you name it. Yeah, see, and when you're when you get in, like we're real big on tomatoes and peppers, and to us, that's real easy stuff to grow. So that's okay. where you, you know, for people starting out, start with something that's easier, so you don't get flustered. I mean, to me, herbs just grow really well. I mean, I do rosemary. I'm like the basil guy. For some reason, I I have 70 basil plants at any one time in the summertime. But start with something you can do. But when we have an abundance of tomatoes, I mean, we're making salsa and pico and all kinds of stuff. But I also will make spaghetti sauce and put it away. You know, I can my tomatoes whole. I I get the pressure canner out and just push them in the jar. Can them, skin and all. I met, I met this lady. I was doing interviews for gardens last year with the people in my area. And I looked at this one lady, and she's like, she was sticking the, the tomatoes in whole in the jar. And I'm like, well, don't you need to peel them? And she looked at me like I was from Mars. And she says, oh, heavens, no. And I looked at her, and I'm like, what? And she goes, why would I want to waste the time doing that? So this year when my tomatoes went into production, I did what she did. And I have been eating these tomatoes because I'm thinking, well, I read that the skins get hard and that they're not edible. I've had no problems. She says, if you see them, you see them. If not, you just eat the skins as normal. And I see no difference. So I do not peel my tomatoes anymore. See, that's, see, I did the exact same thing. I did a tomato basil jelly, and it said I was supposed to blanch them and do all And I'm like, forget it. And now when I, when, I, when I serve it, it's neat because they can see there's tomato. But yeah, other than a little bit of texture, there's no real difference. The only thing yeah. I think we ended up pulling the skins off of was peaches or something. We made a jam or something. Oh, yeah. And we pulled the, we pulled the skin off those. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff, they say do this. I don't, I don't skin things. I mean, my mom said, you know, leave the, leave the potato skin on the potato. That's where all the vitamins are. When I make... You know, fried potatoes for breakfast. Where I leave the skins on, I wash it, and I and that's it. You know, but I would, if I was not, I would recommend following the USDA instructions until you're at a point where you're feeling comfortable that you can do it without hurting yourself. If you're a newbie and you're just learning, I would follow those instructions like left and right. Well, I'm a man. I don't follow instructions well. <laughs> I know, but for somebody out there, I mean, you and I. Yeah. We know what we're doing, but for somebody out there that may not know what they're doing, follow the instructions until you become um, informed enough to make the to make the decision for yourself. Oh, comfortable. Yes, yes. Hey, can we talk about small home living, please? Yeah, <laughs> like we're supposed to. Yes. <laughs> okay, I live in a 693 square foot home. To say it's small is like an understatement because it's small, but. For five years, we were supposed to live here for two to three years until we built our forever bigger home. Right. And um, and this home was going to turn into kind of like the studio or whatever. Um, but then we turned around and, you know, time gets away from you. And it's now been five years and we live here. I mean, it has gone through transformation after transformation. Every winter, I'm changing something or moving something. My poor husband has no clue where things are. <laughs> I actually have to admit, I can have a whole bunch of applesauce, and I cannot figure out where I put the applesauce. It's somewhere here. It's not a big enough house. <laughs> to have gone far. It couldn't have gone far, but I have literally opened every nook and cranny in every outhouse building, and I cannot find the applesauce. So my husband is not going to work with applesauce in his lunch right now. <laughs> but there, 
there, there, there's challenges with living in a small space. And for those people that really, um, that really decide, you know, they're, they have these dreams of living on land and being in a, in a small house, not having any cares in the world. There's, there's good and there's bad. The good is, is that you're living in a small space and you can't get away from your loved one, which is great because, you know, how my, how my husband and I are. But the bad is, is that it's harder to clean. I mean, a small house is so hard to keep clean. One thing on the counter just explodes into the, oh my gosh, the whole kitchen is filthy. Yeah. You know, if, if you're a homestead and you're, you have a small home and you decide you want to live in a small homestead, um, small little building, you have to take into consideration you have so much stuff that you need to have to be in a homestead. So for me, where do I put all my canning equipment? Where do I put my glasses? Where do I have people, where do I entertain people when they come over? I mean, we have dinner six. We literally cram everybody, all six of us, cram around a little tiny table that I built a couple years ago. Right. I mean, it's, it, they actually had the kitchen in the floor plan that we had. They put the dining room in the kitchen. And I ended up, it just took one Christmas for me. And I said, that's it. Dining room is no longer in the kitchen. And I took half of the living room and moved the dining room area into the living room because you cannot have, you cannot cook a turkey in a tiny 78 square foot kitchen with four people around a table trying to play a board game. It just right. is not going to happen. So you have to think of that. You know, what kind of lifestyle are you going to live? Where do you live? If it's if it's hot down in Texas or in Fresno, California, I could get away with a, a smaller home and, and feel rather comfortable probably because I wouldn't have to have the clothing or the the amount of clothing that I have to have up here is drastically different than down in Fresno. We, uh, we recently transformed our bedroom into what we prefer to call a sleeping closet because, <laughs> hey, you know what? It actually feels a lot more comfortable than we thought it would feel, but it's still not preferable. I mean, I don't even have a closet. Two years ago, my husband's clothes got too much, and I ended up pulling all my stuff out of the closet because the doors wouldn't even close. And I moved all my stuff into the office, and then the office, it just, it, it was exploding. We couldn't even pay bills because we couldn't find space. So I took half of my clothes down into the studio that we have, that we built. It's a little 200-square-foot building that's down at the bottom of the property. And I just lived with a few clothes. You know, every every week you do laundry and you just have a few pieces of clothing. Well, and, and, and with that there, what you're going to do is, especially because you are home and you're, you're working the homestead, you're going to wear the same basic clothes, the same sets of clothes, and you'll wash them and then you'll use them again and you'll wash them and, and just keep going because it's not like you're, you know, you're going, you know, you're going to, you know, to, to Dillard's, yeah, or Macy's, no, Macy's. Tread. Tread lightly. <laughs> Tread. What was my nickname here? Yeah, the Macy's Girl Gone Prepper. Dude, I like to have my shoes. I like to at least be able to see a couple purses. And when you have everything in boxes, what's the point? You know, I don't want to get rid of them because I'll never be able to afford the clothes that I have. Oh, yeah. Ever again. So I put them down in boxes to, to be, 
eaten by moths. And, you know, I, I go to buy, to wear this perfect outfit and I'm like, oh, my purple gloves would be so perfect with this. And then, oh, where are my purple gloves? Oh, they're, they're up in the attic of the studio. You know, so it got to the point where we went to um, actually the container store and we de I designed a whole entire system and we lined all of our walls with their shelving and we got baskets and everything is there and I can wear whatever I want because my clothes are all out, but it does look like we have a bed in the middle of a closet. Now, didn't you guys have, have a seed thing you guys were doing there for a while? What do you mean? I have I have a, a tote, and it's a tote like you know, like a woman I think would put three or four pairs of shoes in and slide under the bed. And I've got seeds in there, kind of categorized by lettuces versus things that are that are you know potatoes and tubers and this and that. Didn't you guys have something like that too? We do. We have a. Um, oh no! It was your project board you had? Will you prioritize your projects? That's what I'm thinking. About. Yeah, that was on the back door of the office, and we we finished all of those projects so they're all gone um but we have i mean talk about food storage all of my food because the kitchen is so small all of the food is in the hall which was a bedroom closet that we put the door on the outside in the hall in the hall and use it as pantry and then i have onions i'm literally looking at two big containers of onions that i harvested in um, october and they're sitting in the office because I, it's too humid for me to put anything in an outbuilding. Right. So I have to store all of my food in the house because it's temperature controlled in here. So my husband just brought the last box of onions that we found up in the shop that sprouted. So I'm going to be cutting those up and salvaging as much as I can and putting, putting them in the freezer so they don't go bad any farther. And then I have two big buckets of onions sitting here. Have you tried dehydrating your onions yet? Oh, I dehydrate it. I grew over 400 of each variety. Okay. And then when you dehydrate them, do you turn, would you turn around and grind them? I say I dehydrate them and I put them in jars, mason jars, so that I can determine what I want to do with them later. Okay. If I want to grind them up, I can later on stick them in a mason jar, or I can just suck them up in a food saver bag. That's another thing. Where are you going to put your food saver? Where do you put your pressure canner and mm -hmm. your water bath canner and where do you put all of your pots and pans and utensils i mean i live far away i don't live in a in the city so i can't just go to the grocery store whenever i want so where do you put all your food that you need for or do you go shopping every week i don't go shopping every week yeah no yeah maybe every other month yeah yeah that's one of the big things was you guys found out was you spent the as your garden and stuff took off you you spent less money Oh, I spend $12 a month, um, and that was just to buy milk, I, because I, we make our own yogurt, and it was $12 a month in the summer, because we're just, we're, we're growing too much. You got the eggs, you've got your vegetables, you, you know, you got your chicken when you want one, you can just go grab one from the field. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's one that happened, I think, yesterday was, uh, we did, there were some, I was out running around at work, and I was getting pictures on my phone. Apparently, there was some rabbit culling going on. Oh, fun! Yeah, so yeah. It, it was it was it was pretty amazing to me, you know, that my you know my cave woman Amazon is preparing my meals, you know, <laughs> and it's fresh. So I was pretty impressed with that. Can't get much fresher than that, can you? Yeah, that's right. And I know what it ate because it ate everything from here. Exactly. Um, yeah. Now that you were talking about where do you put all your stuff, I mean, that's another thing people need to realize is 
even in like in my home, I mean, we've got a sewing machine, you know, with a little with a little flip out sides and all that, and my pressure canner sits under it in a box. You know, it goes back in the original box, but you have to put the stuff away. We've got some outbuildings, but then you got to establish what can go in those buildings, you know, due to temperature control. And then, you know, I got a note here because you had mentioned that your outbuildings weren't temperature controlled, and it made me think that something else about living in a small space is your cooling less space and your heating less space. Yes and no, but when you're cooking, you are overheating. So when I'm making, like granola, I made granola yesterday morning. I make it every other week, and I literally, my, my the oven has to go to 450. You're toasting the granola, and within 10 minutes, you're opening up the windows because it, that oven heats up your house. Even in the wintertime, you would have to do that? I did it yesterday. Okay, but what's your temperature today? It's and Today, it's probably in the low 50s. Yesterday, it was probably 52. Yeah, because this week, I'm suddenly, all of a sudden, we've gotten warm, and we've gotten in the mid-60s. But but now, here's one for you, because this one came up during our uh, our sun oven uh, video in class, was that it doesn't matter what the temperature is if the sun is out, because yeah. Amazon won't cook in the house in the summertime. I don't blame her. Yeah, I mean, we can get up to 100 degrees, and then we've got a little, we've got a little bit of humidity here, so it can get really bad. But I think the one day she did the roast or whatever, it was 60 or 70 degrees, and it was nice out, but we went off and went and did a skeet shoot and came back, and dinner was done. I would only be able to do the sun oven, and it has it's low on our list, although it is on the list, but it's very low on the list, because we, we only have about 60 days of sun. Yeah, you guys have got heavy cloud cover. Yeah, we're right on the coast, so, so I mean, can't get, well... My mother is closer to the beach than I am, but you couldn't get much closer if you lived elsewhere. But you're right on the coast, and the fog rolls in, and the, and the clouds roll in, and we have no no control over that, as opposed to Fresno. Oh, my gosh, I could have cooked um, endlessly out there. And I did when I was um, in fifth grade. I won first place in the solar hot dog cooking contest at my school. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Woohoo! Thanks, Dad, for helping me build my solar hot dog cooker. Yeah. <laughs> the engineer, yeah. Well, yeah, the engineer. Yeah, see, I lived I lived in Seattle Tacoma area and after living, you know, growing up down, you know, down in the Los Angeles area, it was totally different. It didn't bother me. To me it meant more hunting, but it worked. Yeah, you have to you have to reprioritize stuff on your list like to, to me and to us, the sun oven was a great idea, but I, I can see how for you it would be different. So, as you know, prep, for, uh, for me, fire bricks are more important. So I have, I'm building a wood burning um, stove slash oven that I found online. Mother Earth did a uh, a whole article years ago building an uh, it's a barbecue, a stove, an oven, and it's all made with. Uh, cinder block and fire bricks and that's what we're building because we can make bread we can cook casseroles all kinds of stuff and we can barbecue on it and it's one piece of equipment that we can use to um with trees because we have a endless supply of trees now is this going to go inside or outside it's outside okay now see now there's a there's a change there too because some people who are not used to wood burning stoves and wood burning fireplaces don't understand. You cannot burn 
pine, sweet gum, other wet, sappy woods in the house because they will line your, your, your flue and burn your house down. Mm-hmm. And yeah. some of them you have to burn within the year that you cut them down because they rot too fast. Right. Where if you're doing it outside, you can burn pine and some of this other stuff. Um, it's like, uh, here a couple weeks ago, uh, Amazon wanted a chiminea. Yes. You know, little ball with a smokestack and, you know, and what's, and what was funny was we put some, just, we were just cleaning up the property and putting limbs in it and stuff so we could sit down and have a drink and chill out down there and relax in the evening and kind of have a nice fire and it was kind of cool. The kids could do marshmallows in it. It was kind of neat. Well, I ended up cutting a little place, a piece of plate steel and covering a third of the top. To slow the airflow down because it was like a little rocket stove. Yep. And it was burning up my wood, but now it's actually, it slows down the flue. It, it creates more heat. So that's been kind of nice. So you don't have to cook inside, you know, if you don't have to. Nope. Until your small spaces go farther. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't burn a lot of the wood that we have right now. I My, my husband bought me a wood chip for a shredder. For, uh, for Christmas, I think he probably, the guys at his work think he, he bought it for him, for me to use. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, you know, I take, I go out there and I'm clearing debris. We had some pretty major storms and, you know, you go out and you clear all the branches that fell off and you stick them through the wood chipper and I got instant mulch. There you go, yeah. I, and that's what we use um, to get the, lead, the, the weeds down is on all the pathways and on the beds we put wood mulch, a big thick layer of wood chips down. And uh, you can actually call your local um, tree trimming electric company, um, RPUD, our yeah. power company will send us, if they're in the area and they have a big um, load of wood chips and they need to unload them, they look at their list that they have and they go off their list and just go up and dump them on your property. I've got a good cheat for that. I just found this out. I've got a group, we call it the Breakfast Brigade. It's a bunch of retired cops and federal officers and whatever. And we we have breakfast about five days a week. And we just discuss world problems and solve the world's problems. But we've got the, our electric company does that where they they have contractors that go out and they clear the power lines to make sure there's no trees going to take out the power lines. He actually, and we've been on the list, and I think we've gotten a couple of loads, but lately we haven't been able to get the loads. And I found out why. There's a backdoor network, and what this guy, one of the guys from the Breakfast Brigade did was, he went up and he told the guys, hey, can you drop me a load of chips? I'm right here. And he handed him a $20 bill and walked away. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so now, when, whenever they drop chips at his house, and they do it randomly, there is a Ziploc bag with an envelope in it with $20 right in the place where they're to be dropped. That's not right. That's so not right. Yeah, so he circumvented the system because they don't even look at their list. And I think in one week he got eight loads. And we're talking about a deuce and a half truck. No. Drop. Well, I got the load because they had to cut a tree down from a neighbor issue that we had. So PUD had to come up and cut a tree down that was improperly dug near. So they, I asked them, you know, hey, if you, if you're, can you chip up that tree because I want the wood? And they chipped it up. And in order to give me the, the tree, they had to give me their whole load. Score for me. But you also have to think they're chipping all the trees in the area 
they're also chipping and putting in all of the debris in that area that may have bugs and infestations with something. Well, so you take, a, you take a risk. Yeah, the weeds, the uh, poison ivy, yeah, you're getting all of it. And, yeah, so and I have a wood chipper and I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, see, now that's nice. Now, our thing is we usually let our, our wood season for at least a year to two years. I'm almost through the, the wood that we got, the chips that we got, I don't know, year and a half, two years ago. Uh, so I'm ready for some more. Um, so that's nice. And we just designate an area. Like you were saying, you have to plan what you're doing when you're working with small spaces. Because, like, you know, my equipment goes here. My wood chips go here. I don't want to put plan my trees where people are going to be driving, dropping some of this equipment, these chips and whatever. Um, but, yeah, when you get when you get some of that stuff, if you can get a chipper, I'm a big fan of equipment, not because of the equipment, but because you can do more with it. Well, I'm, I'm a fan of equipment that's going to work for you and that you're that can do more than just one thing. I mean, I was opposed to getting the wood chipper for the longest time because I could just chop and drop and, and, and I kind of, as I was walking through the forest, I would kind of crumble up the, the sticks and, but, and leave them back on the floor. But to be honest, they're not decomposing as quickly. They are decomposing fast, but not as quickly as I want them to right now. And I have to move my entire garden. So for Christmas, my husband just said, that's it. You can have, we're getting you a wood chipper. And I have literally been up on the land. Every time it's not raining, that thing is going. I'm sure my neighbors probably hate me, but I don't care. Yeah, well. But it, it, they're noisy, but it, it's doing multiple functions for me. I'm getting rid of a lot of debris. I'm using it to make my own pathways. I'm using it to... Uh, keep the weeds down. So basically, the whole entire chipper is paying for itself because I'm taking everything that's growing on the land. I mean, all of the huge weeds. We have some weeds that grow 10 feet a year. I'm taking all of those weeds, sending them through the chipper, using them on the floor of the forest that I have, and getting rid of the weeds that way, smothering out the weeds, and um, then use that dirt and that mulch and uh, to make my own compost. Well, and, and the other thing is, it's organic. Mm-hmm. And I, mean, I know exactly what's what, what kind of bugs are in it. Right. Now, you know, when you get into that, um, when you go and you get, and, and I don't exactly know what's in miracle Grow Dirt or some of these other, you know, mulch products that you can buy at the box stores, but like you said, you know what's in yours. What's in yours is the stuff from your area. We have a place that all, because we live in dairy country, um, thank you for anybody that buys Tillamook cheese, (laughs) but we we have a place where all of the, a lot of the farmers are co-opt with, and they'll take their cow poo to the place called the digester, and he heats it up and burns the methane gas off of it, and they use it to power part of the city. Um, that that he's in, and then I can go with my truck, back up my truck, and get a yard of the waste product from it, which is the same exact stuff that they put in miracle Grow bags, from what I've been told, and it looks just like miracle Grow bags, and for 15 bucks, I can drive away with a a yard of it, um, two two scoop, um, skid loader scoopfuls, and I come home and fill up my beds with it, and I grow absolutely fabulous produce from it. Yeah. Yeah, see, we, and, and, you know, because we've got, 
Of course, our chick is free range. Our chick is free range. So the only time we get any manure out of the chicken coop is when we do a chicken coop clean out. And now we've got the goat, so we get the goat pen clean out. You know, and that goes in the, kind of in our mulch box, in our compost box. But our rabbits are caged. So yes, I hear we that's fabulous stuff. Right, and and I love it. I mean, I put it I put it in the hole with wood chips before I put my plants in. Then I turn around and put some more on top. You know, if you're uh, Amazon, she's working on her little garden that she's working on, and she is she's tilled it up with the, with a tiller. You know, she, she she's thrown some of that in. She threw some ash in from the fireplace where we were burning just brush and you know wood that we were just chilling out and relaxing with. So. You know, wood from you the know, fireplace. You're talking about all of the all of the debris and the and the waste that you're reusing. And when we first moved here, I I prided myself in filling up my garbage can in the city. I had three garbage cans. One was paper products, one's yard waste, and the other one was trash. And three huge bins. And I wheeled them out to the curb every Tuesday, um, actually Monday night, very excited that he was going to take and I was getting my money's worth. Well. Now I move here. You're talking 52 times a year times three. Now I move here, and all of a sudden, I don't have trash service where I live. I have to take it to the dump myself. You better believe I figured out how to reduce it. I have four cans every six months. Wow. Of trash. But then again, you're not buying packaged products. I actually, well, we don't buy, we go to Costco. And we buy, um, we don't buy any, we don't buy any boxed items. You know, the cake mixes, we make everything from scratch. And that has just been, I have one cake mix in my pantry right now. And I just don't want to use it because every time I look at it, I remember where I, where I was and where I am now. Well, yeah. And I'm also talking about like lettuce. Since you don't buy lettuce, you don't have the bags from the lettuce. Since you don't buy carrots, you don't have bags and little twist ties and, and egg cartons. No, I actually need egg cartons really bad. See, we, yeah, we've got people giving us egg cartons. I'm like, we don't have that many chickens. Well, I'm getting eggs, and I don't have. I, I, I now have no dozen egg cartons, so there, there is a shortage of egg cartons for me right now. But you know, when I didn't need them, I crumpled them up, the the cardboard ones, and used them in my uh, compost bin. Now, see, with egg cartons, we were using egg cartons for years as seed starters. Mm-hmm. We've got a little table out in our back room, you know, and we just, we, we set them up. There's, it gets good morning sun, and, and we would poke a hole. We, what we do is we take the lid. We usually use the styrofoam ones. We take the lid off of the carton, put it underneath the, where the egg sat, and then we take a toothpick and poke a hole in the carton itself so the water could drain out. You want to know what works even better? What's that? The, um, I use... My husband would have yogurt every every day in his lunch, and I, he would bring the yogurt container home, and I would wash it off, wash it out, and I drilled three little tiny holes in the bottom of the yogurt containers, and that is what I use to grow all of our plants in. Once they pass the seedling stage, I seed them in little um, inserted trays, little trays, and once they pass that, I pop them out and put them in, separate them. If there's more than one or two, and they all survive, I separate them and put them in yogurt containers. That's really cool. <laughs> so Yo Play loves you. Well, Tillamook yogurt loves me, but not anymore <laughs> because I make my own yogurt. I only I only buy the yogurt during the summer when it's really hot, which is about 
I'd say, and I'm saying really hot as in the 80s, um, for him to take his lunch because my yogurt would get a little too soft and their yogurt doesn't. And they have, um, so I only buy it maybe four weeks out of the year. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, you can use butter, too. I just actually was out in the garden, and I was doing my onions, and I took a butter tub that we have, um, and I turned it over, and I drilled holes in the bottom of it, filled it full of dirt, and sprinkled onion seeds. So when the onion seeds grow up and they're bigger, I can take them out in the garden and transplant them in the garden. Yeah, see, reusing reusing supplies is really good. Like, we, our favorite is the the plastic Folgers coffee containers because they've got a nice little snap-on lid mm-hmm. and we end up painting them different colors just so we can have a, a chalkboard in a sense and then we write on there that this is fertilizer this is this kind of seed perfect so yeah so you go out on the front porch and you you know well, where's the fertilizer we're using for this or where's the clover seed or where's some ash we use them for everything I mean I think my dad runs out there and collects eggs with them there you go. It's all what you have. I mean, all my paper waste gets burned because we can still burn up here. And um, no, no plastic or anything. It's just paper. So, you know, once every three weeks I'll go up and I'll burn in the burn barrel. I'll burn all the paper. Um, the All of the kitchen waste goes to the chickens. I have no kitchen waste once you get chickens. They want everything. The only thing they don't get are the coffee grounds and the onions and garlic stuff. And that goes up to the compost bin. And the the compost bin just thrives with all that. And every once in a while, while I'm doing the burn barrel, I'll throw some paper stuff in there or, you know, straw or leaves from the garden. Yeah, now chickens don't like potatoes. We found that one out. If you cook them, they, they do. Well, yeah, we, we've got some, we've had some cooked ones, and they don't like the peels if something's been peeled. But then again, you just turn around, and you throw it, you throw it in your compost bin. Yeah. Um, I have two compost bins. I have one down where the chickens are, and I have one up in the main garden. Well, it's not right. the main garden anymore, but now with, with with what I do for work, I get shipments a lot. You know, not to mention, of course, you know, Amazon sends everything. You know, because we love Amazon. Because everything, everything we buy through Amazon, we buy through Bob's site. But we get a lot of cardboard boxes. Keep in mind, you can use cardboard boxes when you plant your 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 your, uh, gardens to lay down because it'll keep the weeds down. All of my blueberries that I planted here a couple years ago, and I even added some more this year. I put cardboard down before I put my mulch over it. You can do that. I can't do that. Why not? Because I end up getting a soupy mess. It rains too much here, and the cardboard doesn't drain as fast as I need it to drain. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, mine, it, dra- it, it, it gets wet, and then it just decomposes slowly. Yeah, yeah. You, get, you get so much rain. I get a soppy mess of, uh, on top of the cardboard. <laughs> I, yeah. try, I tried everything. I love it. People send me ideas and, and you know, on my Facebook page, or they'll, they'll send it to me through my website. They'll send me these ideas, and I'm like, yeah, great idea. I tried it. It failed. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I did do that when I lived in Fresno. Yeah, because you got the, you got the the moist and then the dry, and then the moist and the dry, and it breaks down really good. Very rarely got the moist, but you know the fog was what you would consider the moist. If there'd be a heavy, dense fog, and things would get you know slightly wet, and that would be that would be the cool part. But um, the sprinklers gave you the moist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was slowly decomposed. It was really nice. Okay, now so so 
What have you got? Let's say I'm going to ask you a question. What's in your kitchen that maximizes your space in your kitchen? I mean, like, my grandfather had baby food jars where he screwed the lids to the bottom of a shelf, and he'd have a baby food jar full of screws, and he'd just screw it back up there so he could go over and pull a jar off. And, and at first I thought I thought it was crazy. I'm like, I cannot believe you're reusing a baby food jar, and now I've got a shelf with baby food jars screwed in. I have, um, and, and I have something very similar to that. I have, Ikea has these little magnetic spice containers. They come three to a pack. Right. And all of my spices are on the side of my refreezer, part of my refrigerator, snapped um, snapped on because it's magnetic. So all of them are on the side of the freezer. Um, I have um, empty mason jars that are waiting to either go back up to the shop or um, to be used on the windowsill. I have little hooks in the wall that hold all of my pots and pans. Um, the big pots, the soup pots, are on a, um, uh, the container store has the Alpha shelving. I think it's still on sale, too. Every year it goes on sale in the end of December to middle of February. So I only buy during that time of year. And the shelving it hangs from the very top of the ceiling all the way to as far as it can down, and it has all of my heavy pots, and all of our dishes are on there, and it's just in that one section of wall. Um, my husband, where the kitchen table should be, is a baker's cabinet, which has the KitchenAid, the toaster, the bread machine on top of it, and a little tiny area. Of course, we just pull out the one that we're using from the back of the wall. Um, and then it's got drawers there, um, we have a center island that we squeeze, so really we only have less than two feet between um, the center island and the cabinets on each side of the kitchen. So it's guaranteed that I will not overeat because if I cannot fit in the kitchen, I can't cook. <laughs> it's kind of like my personal weight loss system. Yeah. <laughs> um, and underneath that is a galvanized metal bucket that holds all of our recyclables, and as soon as that gets full, it goes up to the um, garbage container and the recyclables get taken to the um, transfer station when they're full and then I have which is once every six months um, and then on the other side I have a little trash can that has our compost bin so whenever that gets full of coffee grounds it goes up to be emptied in the compost bin up, up on top um, and then I have food dehydrated it's sitting on the floor because I don't have any counter space for it. So when I want to dehydrate food, it's huge. It's a big industrial, almost like one. I have to have my husband come, and he helps me hoist it up on the uh, center island. Um, and that heats up a room. I usually do all of my food dehydrating as soon as the weather cools down, um, sliced up all my onions and everything, because that will heat a room like nothing. Um and then I have I have a dishwasher. I mean, that's the luxury that I afforded myself. And I, I have just a few of the main necessity pieces uh, that belong in a kitchen that you would need. Everything else, all of my extra silverware, all of my Tupperware, all of my um, extra canning jars and canning equipment is up on a shelving unit in the shop. And it, it just stays there waiting for me. So when it's raining and I'm in the process of canning up something, I have to literally run out, go up 13 steps, open up the shop door, go into the shop, grab it off of there, and come running back down as many trips as I can to bring everything down to do what I need to do. Yeah, see, we've, we've got, a, we've got a, a fairly small kitchen, too, and 
come the holidays, boy, it's it's a pain in there, and we're having to take pies and desserts out and put them on the washer dryer to cool, and it it can, it can be a challenge. But you want to have you want to know a secret? Everybody can be in on a secret. Okay, what's that? Okay, well, the secret is is that we are having to plan for a bigger house right now, and in the bigger house, my husband told me you can plan plan the kitchen however you want, and we just submitted the designs to engineering. The actual kitchen in this new home, because I know what I need now as a homesteader. I, I know the space and the things that I'm doing. The kitchen is 23 and a half feet by 13 feet. That's going to be nice. That's gonna, and that's not even including the laundry room, which is right off the kitchen. Yeah, that's going to be like your house inside a house. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, you need... Homesteaders need a big kitchen. If you're going to be preserving anything, you've got to have at least three burners taken up on your stove for, for, for processing. I mean, you've got your water bath, your jar lids and rings, your pressure canner, whatever you're making that's going in there. Yeah, we've, we've had to learn to do phases where we're... I actually, when I'm water bath canning, I heat my jars in the water... That I can them in, pull them out, put them back in, because my stove is a four burner stove, and it's not that big, so I can't get the big water bath canner. I can't get three of those out there. Well, I do that too, but when I'm um, when I'm pressure canning, I turn on the stove, or the oven, and I heat them in the oven. Hadn't thought of that one. Yeah, on a cookie sheet in the oven with the, I put a uh, towel down on the cookie sheet. 220 degrees, I believe, is what I put them to. I bring them up to that temperature. I put them in there at the very beginning and uh, bring them out as I need them. Yeah, see, that's nice because that won't take up room. No, and they're they're being stored right there. So when I need them, I bring them out. I'll throw another. I have all my cookie sheet trays lined up. I mean, that's another thing. Where are you going to put your cookie sheets in a small house? Right. Yeah, yeah. We've got a little bitty cabinet. It's maybe 12 inches wide, and it's deep enough for cookie sheets, but, boy, are they stacked in there. Well, you know, better. Uh, uh, I have something similar to that, and I put, if you measure it, and then you go to the office supply store, you can get one of those um, file folder hangers, you know, that you sit on the desk, and then you just flip a file folder, and it kind of holds them in, like, I think four sections. Yeah. I use those to store all of my Pyrex dishes and all of my cookie sheets and all my cutting boards and everything. So they're huh. not all stacked up and squished together and I don't have to fight. For me, I want to open a drawer or a door and I want to be able to grab one thing or and grab what I want. I don't want more than two mo- motions because then I have to put something down. Yeah. Yeah. And those things are only like two ninety nine, a dollar ninety nine at Walmart. I think you can get them at Walmart. Yeah, and Walmart is the devil, so no, we hate going to Walmart, but we do have to well, go. I don't shop there anymore, so, but that's where you can get them. Okay. Are you still, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're coming, we're coming up on an hour. What else have you got for this phase? Because I'm already saying that we're going to have to do a phase two on this. Well, this phase was mostly gardening. Do you want to continue talking about gardening? Or do you want to talk about kitchen? Let's let's stay with the kitchen, and what we'll do is we'll break free. We'll break free, and uh, see if Bob wants to do a special edition on on gardening a little more. So go ahead and go go back to the kitchen. Well, when you get finished canning stuff, and you live in a small house or a small space, where are you going to put it? Because you can't take them and put them outside if your jars are going to freeze. 
So for me, I have them under my bed. I have them in the top of the cabinets of, of the office where our our, uh, our library book, our books are. Um, I'm looking at, I mean, all kinds of stuff. I mean, I have flour and sugar that are in big jars. I mean, you, you have to figure out where you're going to store all of that. My food is actually not even in the kitchen. My pantry is 25 feet down the hall in a hallway um, that we... We, this was supposed to be a two-bedroom house. We took the closet door off of the middle bedroom and put it in the hall so that that is our pantry. Yeah, see, and we we started doing, we started using five-gallon buckets with gamma lids. It's like in our laundry room, you know, we, we make our own laundry soap, and it's sitting up on the shelf in a, in a smaller container. But I've got a five-gallon bucket down in the shop that I store it in long term. But we've got five-gallon buckets, and one is my stepmom. She makes, we started out making bread, but then the bread loaves were so big that we just, just decided to start with making rolls. Yeah. And that was more efficient. But all of the flour that she uses for that is in a five-gallon bucket, and then there's another five-gallon bucket under that because you can stack them, and it's got, it's got sugar in it for other stuff that she's doing. So... Yeah, the kitchen the kitchen is probably the hardest thing because our kitchen isn't that big either. Yeah, we have the five gallon buckets. We actually store potatoes in them because we've talked to everybody around here, and that's something different. You know, when you talk to when you move into a different area or you plan on moving, we never even thought about it. But how are you going to store your produce? Because down in Fresno, I could I kept all of my cards and tax returns and everything in the garage. Never had a concern with moisture at all, ever. Right. Here, I put all of the cards and stuff. I went out to go send a thank you card to somebody, and all the envelopes were glued to the cards. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that, and that I get that in my bedroom. I've got a I've got one of my drawers where I carry envelopes and stamps and that. Yeah, and I remember last year I pulled an envelope at, out, and they were all sealed shut. Well, I'd never experienced that. And then, so how do you do your, your produce? I'm still trying to figure that one out. And I went and I, I, I talked to the, the gardeners, the people around here. I mean, don't be scared to go out and ask people what they do and what works for them. A lot of people keep their food under their beds, or a lot of people keep it in their garage if, if it's heated or insulated. Um, potatoes are, are out in a, in a, we have one building that's temperature controlled for the cold. And, um, so I have potatoes in there, although I don't think it's really working well. Um, my pumpkins I've lost, I had four pumpkins this year. Um, and I only have two left and I didn't eat any of them because two of them have, have rotted because they're in the shop and the shop is not temperature controlled and it's got moisture like crazy and they do not like being stored there. Yeah. Yeah, the onions that were left up there sprouted. I have garlic and shallots that are up there that I need to bring down. And um, other than that, everything since my office is 7 by 9, um, surrounded by bookcases and food in the middle of the floor. Yeah. Now, I heard one that I liked, and I'm probably going to be doing it in my shop. I haven't gotten my potato or my onion uh, to take off yet. I mean, no more than I use so I've never really gotten a, you know an abundance, but I heard to take basically take a two by four and basically build it the size of a single mattress, put chicken wire on it, and suspend it from the ceiling in my shop. Uh-huh. 
So basically, I have a chicken wire mattress, and you put your potatoes on it, and then you just hoist it up or put it on a shelf up in the shop, but you have to keep your potatoes separate from your onions. Yes. But... But you also have to keep them totally dark, too. Right. But they're up and they're out of the way. Because I know... My that, shop... Yeah, my shop can get trashed pretty quick if I get in there doing something. Yeah, my shop would be, um, one, too moist, too moist for that. And, and two, my shop, I always have the door open or the lights on, so it wouldn't work for me. But here's what else to do with your potatoes. I harvest potatoes, and then as soon as I start seeing them getting soft or whatever, I take them, I plant them in a bucket, and I stick them in the greenhouse. I went out there, I was seeding my tomatoes and um, cabbages and peppers today. Um, just before I, I came in to talk to you, and I noticed my potatoes are literally about two feet tall. <laughs> so I have, I've harvested all of my potatoes, and as I'm going through and culling them and, and, and getting rid of the bad ones, I just plant them. I plant them back in a pot or a container, and in the summer, I, you know, as soon as it gets warm enough where normal people would plant their stuff, I take all the containers out and I stick them in the garden, um, you know, like you normally would with containers. I stick them in the garden and I grow them out in the garden for, for you know, till it's ready to harvest. I take a bucket when I need potatoes, empty it out, harvest the potatoes that are in there, and eat them. And when they start going bad again, throw them back in the dirt. There you go. Yeah. So use use Mother Nature um, to work for you or with you and not against you. So, you know, last year, I, I that's how I discovered it. Last year, I opened up a bag that was in the in one of our, the temperature-controlled building that had potatoes, which I need to get those potatoes out because obviously it didn't work. And I opened them up, and they were all sprouting, so I brought them in. I, I literally, they were, they were disgusting. They were mealy and gross and... You know, I either throw them in the compost bin or I throw them in a pot and see what happens. I threw them in a pot. I ate potatoes before anybody else in the area did. Yeah. Now, here's something you you mentioned. You mentioned other sources. Uh, we're getting close to the end of this of this episode, but you mentioned other sources, and I'd like to touch on that. Um, I know that I use I, I I see all the articles from Mother Earth News, and I look at those, and that's actually where we got the idea for this living in small spaces episode here. What sources do you like as far as places to gather more information? I like my local community. I, um, I, I have been finding people that garden. I, I'm very outspoken and open. If you live in the Pacific Northwest and you garden, contact me. Let's talk. Because um, I had absolutely no clue how to do any of it. I, I got a book on the weather and growing in our area. And after I read that book, I realized, you know what? I really do live in an area I cannot grow like I used to. I can't. It's it's not going to work. And the first year, two years that I gardened, it was a success, but it was not successful to where I could scream. And once I read the book and I started talking to everybody else in the area, asking them how they do things, what they grow, how they grow things, do they save their seeds, do they not, um, I got more information last year in the four gardeners that I stopped, vegetable gardeners that I stopped and asked questions. I asked them, can I come and tour your garden and can I have an hour of your time? Well, the first lady um, that I went to, it was an hour and 45 minutes of her time, and I felt really bad because if I ask for something, I don't want to go over. Right. Uh, and she was very gracious, absolutely adore her. And the second person, I was just upfront and honest, I sent him a Facebook message, and I said, hey, it's going to probably be about two hours. Is that okay? 
And they're like, oh, sure, as long as you want. And I think I probably stayed a little over the two hours, but I, you know, because people have families and, and they're taking time out of their time to be with you and to answer your questions. But gardeners help and are, it's just like the bee community. I was hearing Dave talk about the bees. Gardeners are absolutely notorious for helping you. If you have a question and you need a solution and they've done it or they know it or they have an idea, they'll tell you and share it with you. I mean, I've sent seeds to people that, that said, you know, hey, I want to start a garden. And I'm like, hey, you're in the same area. Let me save you. Let me send you some seeds I've saved. Let me know how they turn out. If they turn out, they turned out. If they didn't, they didn't. I was new to seed saving. You know, when you know better, you do better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know really what it is, but I, I found that just by asking people, they'll give you more information. Um, and for for some people, I mean, if you ask your local ag department, your county ag agent, what you know, what what they think, and like here, they've got a master gardener program. Yes. Um, and we have that here too, and each one is different. So you have to call and you have to ask them what they offer. I mean, um, there is a class, food preserving class, that I want to take, and I'm on the list that when they offer that next, that they'll let me know. Um, but for a lot of things, I mean, I'm growing things that they're telling me, oh, you can't grow those successfully here, and I'm like, really? So I turn around, I'm like, well, I could grow them in Fresno. I could just stick them in the ground. So what's the difference? You know, in order to grow lettuce in Fresno, I had to create covers that when the sun reached a certain area, it would reach the shade cloth and it would it would shade the lettuce so that it wouldn't get too hot and the drip irrigation had to go through. Well, here, okay, I need to trap the sun and the heat. So I built cloches for everything. So if I'm growing a tomato, I get tomatoes about a week to about two weeks to four weeks earlier than some people because I grow them in these little mini greenhouses, these cloches that I lower in the, I lower them down and keep them all covered at night. And I, if it's too hot in the afternoon, I'll go and I'll raise them up in the, uh, in, and let the heat out, but I'll trap the heat for the night. Right. It, it's just how you grow it and how you, I successfully grew sweet potatoes. Everybody's telling me, oh, you can't grow sweet tomatoes, sweet potatoes. I grew sweet potatoes. I ate sweet potatoes last night from the garden. Yeah, so we do, they do sweet potatoes out here, and they've got all kinds, they've got an entire town that does nothing but sweet potatoes out here. Yeah, and I grow, they tell me you can't grow hot peppers. Well, I finally found a pepper that I can grow here that is really hot. In fact, my husband didn't believe me, and he says, oh, no, it's not going to be hot. He took a bite, and I mean, he couldn't get enough milk. It, it, it's it's a hot. I I just seeded some um, what a couple hours ago. It's a hot pepper. I'll have to I'll have to send you some because I had some guys that that gave me some peppers that they grew. And I my, think I heard you talking about that. Yeah, my dad. My dad pretty much drinks gasoline. I heard that whole podcast. I want some seeds. Okay, well I've got them because what I do is I turned around and I took all of these peppers and my dad <coughs> he was making his his salsa, which is basically just. Jalapenos, garlic, onion, and maybe a serrano, and he puts them in a blender with some water, mm-hmm. and that's it. And he grinds them up, and then he just puts and he just he puts it in a jar, and then he'll take some and put them in a Ziploc bag and throw them in the freezer. He'll defrost them later when he needs some more. And it was scorpion peppers and goat, not ghost peppers. It was oh yeah, Dave did Peter peppers. Those were really hot. And there was another one. I can't think of what the other one was. But, yeah, I'm going to send you some. What I do is I'll take a bunch of peppers and I'll dehydrate them. And then I separated the seeds from the pepper section. 
because I just I, I basically try to pull all the seeds out to save them. So I'll send you some of those and see what you think about those. Now, when I was after I dehydrated them, and I was pulling my seeds out, I had my rubber gloves on, and I'm sitting at the table, and I was crying, and my face was on fire, and I hadn't touched my face at all. Oh gosh. So. And that intensifies in a small house. That right there. Yeah. What you're feeling that is intensified when you're living in a very small space. When I dehydrate onions and peppers, hot peppers, anything that smells hot, for the first two, three hours that I dehydrate them, I stick the dehydrator outside. Yeah, see, I use it as a way to keep people out of the house. Because <laughs> we've, got, we've got kids running around like, y'all go outside and play. I'm like, I know, I'm going to dehydrate some peppers. Let's We'll work this out. Well, I would be the only one that would be... Uh, I would be punishing myself, so I just stick it outside. <laughs> and then I bring, I use the small dehydrator for that, and um, because we have, you know, one is none and two is one. Right, yeah. So, yeah, we, yeah, we've got two. I use one strictly for jerky and meat, uh, only because it just it's a pain to get the stains off from the stuff that I use. But the other one's all just strictly vegetables and herbs. Yeah. But and, no, that, that, that's... Gardening in a nutshell on a small space is totally doable. You don't need a ton of space. I'm only using a third of, of our two acres, so I'm not even using half an acre, I would say. And I have to move it all now because we're putting a house down in the main part of the garden. So. Well, I think that's a good place to, to, to stop this. Isn't it? You know, kind of what I found out when Super Dave did his garden was smaller. start small, do a little bit of everything in a smaller garden, and then see what really works, what really takes off, and see where it goes from there. Because his production was through the roof. You know, a couple weeks ago, actually more than a couple weeks ago, I have been doing, since last year, I've been doing a series on our um, webpage on gardening. Um, it's thumperlane.com, and it's all about, you know, gardening. There is no failure to gardening, the secrets to gardening, and the different types of gardening methods, and what works for me, what works for you is totally different, and how to help people come to the idea of how um, how to start and how to grow from there, because gardening is so simple, and everybody gets a book and they start reading it and they start freaking out because, oh, I have to know this and this and this and temperature and degrees and everything. And it's just stop all of that. If you're new to gardening, just buy a plant, stick it in the ground, and water it when the when, when the top inch or two gets dry. That's it. Well, and, and here's another one, you know, kind of a, a variance on that is that the first rosemary I ever got, I bought it, I put it in a pot, and I killed it in six months because I, I threw miracle Grow on it. Oh, gosh. And killed it. Now don't, what, mir don't, don't miracle grow anything. Yeah. So now what I do is I've got rosemaries all over the property, but they grow really well in some areas and not so great in others. But the point that I've learned is I'm trying to figure out where they grow. So if you've got an herb like that, especially a perennial herb, uh -huh. find out where it does and doesn't grow well. And then, okay, now I've learned on my own. That, like rosemary wants the harshest environment you can give it. Uh -huh. You know, it doesn't want shade. It doesn't want a lot of water. It wants to be abused. It wants to be left alone and ignored. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so, you, you've got your website. Tell us about your website and tell us about your Facebook site. Well, the website, thumperlane.com. 
and that is where I put up the long, detailed information of what we're doing. And it's actually a great place if you're starting or thinking of doing a homestead. Um, we are doing the whole process of building our house right now, the, the main home. So I've literally put up the plans and the changes that we're making, and I'm putting posts up as um, somebody what somebody would want that's building a, a homestead home um, and what I looked for in the plans. Um, and then it's also where I put the gardening stuff up. And then for everyday conversations, um, I am on Thumper Lane Homestead on Facebook. And that's where I put pictures of what I've done for the day or what I am doing or in the middle of or when I fall down the hill or when I just slide in the chicken coop because it's very wet here right now. So sliding is totally doable. Uh, talking uh, to chickens. Talking to chickens, videos. Um, I put, you know, usually when I do something in one of my social media groups outside, it always hits Facebook. Yeah, you know, and then there's always, there's always the Maggie episodes where we've got to sit there and talk to Maggie. We have to talk to Maggie. She's actually been sitting here watching watching you the yeah. whole entire time. Because <laughs> we love Maggie. Oh, Maggie's a sweetheart. She's great. She is the, she's our special needs boxer for people that don't know who Maggie is. Um, starved the first year of her life, and now she spends the remainder. She's five, and she spends all of her time up here on two acres, and she follows me around. She's like my shadow. Yeah, and then, and then when you when you guys end up going out to the beach and you and you post those pictures on Thumper Lane, that's just hilarious to see her just chasing sticks and having a good time at the beach. She, the beach is the only place, we were just talking about that with somebody, it's the only place where she's not scared. She is scared of everything, but you can take her to the beach and she loses all fear of everything. Yeah, she's, she's, is she still afraid of her, or her food bowl? She is afraid of her food bowl, not as much, but she um, she does still take chicken juice, which is a.k.a. chicken broth, yeah. um, off of, on her food in order to eat. She doesn't, eating has, was not a pleasurable thing for her, so eating is difficult to get her to do. Right. Yeah. Okay, well that's great. Uh, I appreciate you coming out for this. Um, Thank you for asking me, and I would love to do more. I mean, I've got all kinds of tips and tricks for you guys. Okay, well, we'll make that a part two, and we will stop this one, and we will send this over, and then we will come back for part two. Okay, go on over and, 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 and visit uh, Thupper Lane, and check out all of her ideas and what she's got going on. She, she's very busy, busier than, than I am here. And uh, we'll send this one over and see where, we, see where Bob takes it, and then we're going to go ahead and uh, probably get started on episode two. So again, thank you for coming out, and uh, we'll see you again. Bye, guys. All right. Many thanks to Joe and Thumper Lane. Again, check out her website, thumperlane.com. I'll put it in the show notes for this episode. A lot of good stuff there. A lot of good variety of stuff. And I, you know, I learned something. So I learned so much from all these interviews. And it's it's great that, that this show is comprised of a community of listeners that like to help. And speaking of a community of listeners, you might want to join our forum, Today's Survival Show Forum. If you go to todayssurvival.com, there's two S's in that web address, by the way. Click the forum button, get signed up. I need you to do me a favor. Please send me an email. 
if you sign up for the forum. And that's how I keep spammers out. That way I know that you're a real listener and you're listening to this show. And I'll approve your account real quickly and I'll get you um, uh, posting on the forum as quick as possible. Thumper Lane's on the forum. Joe, many, many others that listen to this show. So once again, check that out. And don't forget, if you're going to make an Amazon purchase, you notice that I don't have any commercials or sponsors on this show. I like to keep this show sponsor-free and commercial-free because that's the way I like to I like to listen to shows. I like to keep them informative, and I like to listen to informative shows without hearing a bunch of about a bunch of stuff that I may not want. So it's only supported by generous listeners like you. If you're going to make an Amazon purchase, go to todayssurvival.com. There's an Amazon store link. Make your Amazon purchases through my affiliate link, if you don't mind, because that helps send some money back to me to help support the show and keep it going and keep it informative for you. You'll see that at todayssurvival.com. If you want to email me, my uh, email address is bob at todayssurvival.com. And don't forget, there's also a Today's Survival Show Facebook page. Just uh, search Today's Survival Show on Facebook and like the page if you would please do that. And I'll you know, keep you informed through Facebook if you like the social media scene. So thanks again to uh, both of them. Thanks again for you for listening. And I'm Bob Main. You've just listened to another episode of Today's Survival Show. Helping you do what you can with whatever you have, wherever you are. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Goodbye.